difficult because we are asking God to do something that comes unnaturally. We are wanting God to make himself the only desire that we have. And we are pulled in so many different directions that sometimes we feel like, ah, oh, but God, if you make me, then that means I lose myself and you. And sometimes we don't want to lose ourselves, but God has a plan for us. Uh, one plan is to pray for one another. One plan is that God would know that we declare our allegiance to him and that we bear one another's burdens. We want to encourage each other, but we also want one another to know that we are not alone. A great praise is uh, my sister-in-law, Jen, my brother's wife. She's been battling cancer. My wife was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer last year, two years ago, whatever it was now. And my sister-in-law, two months after, was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer that had progressed to her liver. And this past year, two years, it's been a whirlwind. It's just been, okay, God, we're praying, but there's so many people that have cancer. Why would God answer us or reward us when God does choose to heal? at times, and God is certainly capable of moving in the miraculous at times. And also there are times when God makes us lonely. He leaves us by ourselves so that we can understand who he is. And we just received a report from my brother that the uh, cancer they were still nervous about on the 40% of the liver remaining, that it is unremarkable. And if you've ever gone through cancer, that is a good term. It means like there's nothing that we are worried about. It's unremarkable. So we praise God for unremarkable things. Yes. And we are so grateful that we can come together. And when it seems like, and my mom and I talked the other day, it seems like, man, we're always the ones that are presenting a prayer request. It's always our family. It's always a struggle. But we feel like we are the family of God that we can encourage each other and we can celebrate together because God. God is doing what God does. He's uniting his family to pray and intercede and care about each other. But then he is proving himself worthy to be praised. And whether, well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whether they were rescued in the fire or not, they were still going to praise God. Whether God provides a miracle that we want or not, God is with us. And for that, we say, thank you, Jesus. So let's pray today with grateful hearts, for he is good. And Jesus, there are so many requests and burdens and thoughts. We thank you for how you have been merciful and blessed Danny Sneed with his heart valve replacement. We pray for strength and continued healing. We pray that his family would see his testimony, his witness by being a follower of you, and they might know you as Lord and Savior as well. We thank you for the great report from Jen's doctors, and we thank you because you have been merciful, but God, let us be reminded how we can share your goodness with others, how we can be kind, how we can show and declare that you love us, that you are for us, that you bring salvation and we are yours. And Father, for those of us that just wonder, well, what about me? Let us not quit, but let us remember that you are at work. So Jesus, here we are saying thank you because you are with us, that you love us, you have a plan for us, that you will guide us, help us to choose to surrender to you so that you might be lifted up and we could be hidden with Christ in God. So Father, we thank you. 
And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. And amen. And God is very good. And it certainly is a reminder, though, that those that pray and they don't get the same results that we consider an answer to prayer, God is still with them and you as well. So we do not neglect prayer, but we thank the God that we pray to. We are grateful that you have helped us spread the message of the gospel, the, the message of the sermon, the text from Scripture. It's not my voice or my uh, anecdotes or the stories, but it's the truth that comes from God's Word, that we get to share that with others and people can be encouraged by God's Word. I was actually made aware somebody on Facebook had watched our uh, service, but they could not hear the audio. I do not know who this person is. Bethany says it's because I have too many Facebook friends. Maybe that's true as well. Or maybe it's somebody else. Just they found the page. And so we got to share the the Google podcast and just the sermon. And they were encouraged by the words of Dr. Luke that he sent to his friend Theophilus, that we can encourage people by God's truth. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you have helped us give and bless those in our community that are in need. I received another call this uh, last week about somebody that they did not have any gasoline in their vehicle. They did not have money to pay rent, and they were really searching what to do. So you might say, whoa, did we help them with everything? It's like, no, we didn't, but we had to figure out like where could God use us best. So I met this person at the gas station and we filled their vehicle with gasoline. We gave them a gift card to Shaw's supermarket because that's the supermarket that was closest to them. And they said, wow, it is so nice that the church is doing this. Can I tell my friends? And that's when I paused and said, I need to pray inside before I answer out loud. Because, well, frankly, once one place helps, it's usually an indicator that there are several other people that said no. And so how can we be the church that gives and supports and show God's love but still have boundaries? And so I believe God gave me a positive way to respond, which we said, yes, but these are the parameters and boundaries that we give. But your tithes and offerings, it gives so that we can be a blessing. Not that we're uh, crazy, but we do want to be extravagant in our giving to others because God was extravagant in his giving to us. And so you can give online, you can give in person, you can mail checks to the chapel campus. But that is what part of the giving goes to. Yes, tithes and offerings, it helps pay my salary, it helps us rent this facility, but we want to be a church that is known for reaching the lost because we are simply beggars sharing bread with other beggars. And now that I've begun to preach, we could do that later. Now that I've begun to preach, last week we concluded with after a night in jail, after a night in jail, what took place? Well, after a night in jail, because they were questioned for doing a good deed. If you had to spend a night in jail, questioned for doing a good deed, what would you be thinking while you were in jail? Would you be saying, God, I am so grateful that you allowed me to do this good deed in this specific case to see this crippled man heal? Or would you say, God, I just did a good deed. Why am I in jail? It doesn't make sense. I'm angry. I'm bitter. I'm lost. This is so frustrating that I'm trying to do good for you. And now I'm in jail. 
Are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? This is Acts 4, 9. Do you want to know how he was healed? It was more of this is about God. This is not about me, what I was able to do by the power of God. So Peter answered, he replied, he reacted after he was filled with the Holy Spirit. When you are questioned, when you are asked, when you are provoked, do you respond being filled with the Holy Spirit? Or do you respond with that knee-jerk reaction of, I need to defend, I need to stand up. This is the truth, and you only know half the story. It's been said that there's two sides to every story, and then there's the truth, and maybe that's perhaps true. But how do we respond do we respond by being filled with the Holy Spirit? As Scripture says, it's not just filled once. Jesus come into my life. You're filled, but it's continually going to the source. So he fills you to the point of overflowing. And once you pour out, once you're spilled out, God wants to fill you again and again and again. So we don't pour out, but we spill out from the abundance of who God is. So when you are questioned, why did you vote that way? Why did you go to that place? Why do you care about them? We don't answer with our intellect or our background. We answer what Jesus has done for us and through us based on scripture and the presence of his Holy Spirit. We do things because we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So Peter said, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus. There's only one name that can do this healing. It wasn't something mystical, magical. It was the truth of who Jesus is, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. So you might think that's a little dig, that's a jab, and perhaps it was. But I think it's important for us to know that though salvation is for everyone, there is consequence for sin. He said it clearly. Sometimes clarity is greater than nuance. Sometimes we, how do I say this carefully? I don't want to be politically correct. This is the whole point that sometimes we stand behind being politically correct. So we use a little bit of nuance. Well, God loves you. So if you sin, like he still loves you and he's patient with you, but you know, the Holy Spirit's been telling you to stop it. Stop. Quit. Be done. Be filled with the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit purges and everything that God wants to get out of you is removed from you. And you're just like, well, I, I still kind of like it. But God is saying, stop it. There are sins. There are temptations. There are predicaments in our own life that we want God's grace. And God's grace is abundant and full. But God's told us, I want you to stop it because my grace is for you in another area. So God is saying, be clear about certain things. Don't mix it with nuance. There are parts of ourselves that Jesus is saying, I will get to that eventually. And though that person is telling you, cut your hair or take out that piercing or whatever legalistic thing you want to think of, that might happen in the future. But God is saying, what I care about more is that you know that I love you and I have holiness and righteousness for you. Dare to walk in righteousness. I just listened to uh, Focus on the Family. And they were sharing that 70% of men struggle with pornography. And then they made the joke that the other 30% are liars because they struggle. They just don't admit it. And then they said that with women, it's ever increasing the amount of women that are struggling with pornography as well. But how many times have we heard this in the local church? 
well, this is sexual and there's children. This is uh, kind of embarrassing. We don't want to address it. But what if we could be honest with one another and say, there's a part of my life where I'm tempted. There's something in my faith walk that there's a hindrance, there's a temptation, there's something in me that's keeping me from getting filled and overflowing with who God is. What if we were so clear of what God says is true, so clear of what God is saying is for us, instead of saying, well, you struggle, they struggle, 70% of people struggle. So, hey, just keep struggling. Instead of saying God has declared that there is a way of freedom, that we could break the chains of sin and we can go after God and be healed by Jesus, completely healed by him to walk in who God says we are, his chosen people. You can do that by God's power, and God's power usually uses other counselors and wise counsel and accountability in people. So don't say, well, Jesus is working on me. Well, find Jesus in a Christian brother or sister as well, healed by Jesus. The caveat, because this whole story comes from when the crippled man asked for money and they said, I don't have money, and then they were healed. Uh, in this situation, God chose to heal. The caveat is God does not heal every time. So if you're saying, well, when God heals, then I'm going to follow him, you're going to miss out on the entire purpose of this sermon, of this story, of what Scripture is saying. At times, God does heal. He does work out a miracle. In this caveat, this is how he chose. But you could look at unanswered prayers and still see that God is a miraculous God, and only by his name we are saved. Let me clearly say to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he, this crippled man, was healed by the powerful name of Jesus, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom, but whom God raised from the dead. The man you crucified, you, but God. But God, let's not forget the, what is it, but, and, what are those called? Not, I want to say contradictions. They aren't kind of, conjunctions, conjunctions. See, I was close, C-O-N, kind. So conjunctions, don't forget that conjunction, B-U-T, but God. But I sinned, but I'm a hypocrite, but I failed, but I'm tempted, but God. But you crucified Jesus by your sin. Your sin is no greater and no less than the greatest sin ever in the world. There are different consequences, but it doesn't matter the sin. It matters but God, the man you crucified, but whom God raised. This is our focus. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. This is a fact of life. This is a fact of your family. This is why your children act the way they do. This is why your spouse or why you to your spouse act the way you do. But it's not uncommon. This is a trustworthy saying, Paul says in Timothy, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. This isn't false humility by Paul. Paul knew who he was and what he did. And sometimes for us, we need to acknowledge my sin put Jesus on the cross. Well, actually, no, our sin did not put Jesus on the cross. Jesus chose to go on the cross because of our sin. Jesus placed himself to do the will of the Father because of our sin, however big, however small, 
I'm the worst. And because I know my sin, I know that I need Jesus to forgive me. Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus came to do the will of the Father, to seek and save the lost. Jesus did not, and I hate it. Well, I don't hate because I kind of like it, but I don't want to keep beating this drum where you just forget it. But Jesus did not come to get political power. Jesus did not come to be put on a pedestal. Jesus did not come so that you would vote for him. Jesus came to save sinners, that they would know eternal life. They would know that their life meant something, that they had something to offer, that God was for them and he cared about them and he wanted to lift them up despite their past, despite their future. Jesus was saying, there is a place in my family for you. You can belong to me. This is why Jesus came and this is why the church is established so we can encourage other Christians to know why Jesus came so we can reach out to others in the name of Jesus. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone, the main piece of architecture that is going to be built on the foundation. There is salvation in no one else. Well, you know, they believe in a higher power. They might have, you know, this in their past, but, you know, they're, they're kind of spiritual. There's no salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the only way. I am the only truth. And I am the only life. No one can come to the Father except through me. This is where clarity is greater than nuance. This is where the gospel is offensive. This is where Christians do take a stand and say, we believe it's Jesus in Jesus alone. And if this isn't the church for you, well, maybe it is the church for you. You just have to ask Jesus to fill me up because there's something that's getting in the way of me wanting to accept all that you have because of this background, because of this relationship. There was a uh, student that we had in the youth ministry several years ago when we were at a Christian camp. In this camp, they had uh, wooden benches that you would um, just sit in. They were kind of uncomfortable. Well, they were terribly uncomfortable, but the sermons were so good, you kind of forgot. The music was so good, you kind of forgot. Well, actually, it wasn't the sermons or the music. It was God was there. It was just so weird, peculiar. Peculiar is a better word. You guys that come Wednesdays understand. It was the presence of the Holy Spirit that this place that seemed so uncomfortable, you felt at home. And during this service, uh, they gave an altar call. The speaker said, hey, if you want to become a Christian today, come up front. And so many people were just moved by the presence and power of God that this girl could not get out of this bench, of the row. So she uh, climbed over the benches and went to the front and pray that God would forgive her of her sins, God would be the Savior of her life, that God would give her healing and meaning. And it was awesome. And then a couple months later, I was sharing at youth group that there's no other way to get to heaven except through Jesus. And she said, wait, but my parents don't believe in Jesus. They believe in, you're telling me they aren't going to get to heaven? And I said, based on Scripture... Jesus said, he's the only way. And she said, well, I can't come to this church anymore because if you're telling me my parents are going to hell, even though they believe this and not in Jesus, then I don't know if I want this to be part of my life. And it was heartbreaking. 
But Christian, follower of Jesus, we cannot change the gospel. We cannot change the gospel. But we can tell that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, that his grace is sufficient, that his love is for us, that his compassion is that we would come to know him, that we would confess our sins, that we'd be filled with him and the temptations and the things that we desire, that they would pass away, that we would understand that he has something better, he has something more, and we would go after him the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Remember, remember this comes from Earlier, when Peter and John looked at this guy intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expected some money. And Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Now, I know there are some former Nazarenes, recovering Nazarenes. I guess Nazarenes are always good. And you're like, hey, we're Nazarenes. And that's that's fine. Like, I... But um, I don't think it's the it's the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. You know, people might be coming and say, Jeff, I need some gasoline in my car. If we can, we'll give you gasoline in your car. Hey, we need some groceries. Hey, we'll give you we'll give you some groceries as much as we can, as much as we're able, we're going to. But this is not why we give money, financial, material things. We give because we believe you need to know Jesus as your Savior, follow him as your Lord, to know that he has a plan for your life, the uplifter of your soul, the one that encourages you when you're depressed, when you're filled with anxiety to the point of wondering, is it worth even living? Should I take my own life? Will anybody miss me? It's worth knowing that there's a God that cares. Sometimes, well, every time, physical healing should reveal spiritual redemption. God uses the physical healing to point people to him, not the physical healing that we might seek another miracle. Now, I don't play the lottery, but I just wonder, like, if I played the lottery and I won, if somebody might say, huh, Jeff played the lottery and he won. Like, maybe, maybe I, it's not like, hey, you received a miracle, so look for that miracle. Let's, hey, God was gracious and generous and merciful. I don't want to seek, I want to seek Jesus. I just have to go for him. He's the only one that can forgive sins. He, he's the only one that can give meaning. He's the only one that take what Satan meant for evil. And do good. This is from Revelation. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last, salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him. Read that together with me out loud, please. And they have defeated him. Let's declare it and proclaim it. And they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. When the accuser comes, and I would say, and you could prove by Scripture, he is here. He can be defeated by the blood of the Lamb. And the testimony that we give, they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Satan uses doubt, distraction, and deception. 
Jesus, he brings salvation, freedom, and healing. Healing is ongoing. Freedom is for you. We just need to walk in it. And salvation only comes from Jesus. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must, must be saved. Because if we aren't, then heaven is not our home. Verse 13, the members of the council were amazed. So put yourself in the story. They're just sitting there. They're putting them on trial. They just got them out of jail. And they thought like, hey, we're showing you mercy. We're bringing you out of jail. Let's have a conversation. Let's talk this out. And Peter's like, no, you don't understand. This is what is going on. And the members of the council were very proper. And they were amazed. And they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special trading in the scriptures. They were patronizing, patronizing. Oh, bless your heart. Like, you look so ordinary. You're kind of redneckish. You're commonplace. You're uneducated. Like, oh, that's kind of good that you say that, but you're ordinary. But then they thought the boldness that came from ordinary people, like, you are ordinary. There's something different about you because you're bold. You are strong. You believe with what you, what you say. This ordinary boldness brought attention to the truth of Jesus. They were peculiar, peculiar again. Wednesday, 7 o'clock at the chapel, the sacred overlap. Be peculiar. If you do not have a book, we could get you a copy of the book. If you've not been to a study, you could just join halfway. We'd love to have you. Chapter 8 this week. But the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Are people amazed when they see your boldness in who you are as a Christian? For they could see that they were ordinary. And this isn't where like, I don't want to be ordinary. I want to stand out. You can put me on that pedestal. You can look at my accomplishments. You can see my trophies. Look at how amazing I am. That's not bold. That's just arrogant. And God just wants us to say, hey, yeah, here I am. I just know what I believe. And the one that saved my soul. So they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus and People are funny. I guess they're funny. That's more annoying. They're like, men, why does it say men? Why does it say women or men and women? Well, because they're talking to Peter and John, and Peter and John were both men, so it's not sexist in the Bible. They were just speaking to Peter and John. That's why I said these men they recognize had been with Jesus. These people, do we get accused of, well, you've been with Jesus, like, you were eyewitnesses to God. You had been with Jesus. You were companions. You were travelers. You were followers of Jesus. Do you get caught up in that group that gets pointed out for being with Jesus because you speak with boldness, even though you're ordinary, even though like you just fit in, there's something different about you. There's many that say they believe, but few that follow. Andy Stanley said that following is greater than believing. Even the demons believe in God. And they're overwhelmed by the fact to the point that they physically shake at there is a God and I know what I am destined for. It's not about believing, it's about following. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. What if maybe... It would be so cool, like, if you could line up all the people that God has 
allowed you to make an impact in their life, all the people that God used you to encourage by the truth of Jesus, if you could just see everyone lined up, lined up, lined up, and they could just say, I don't know what it was about you, but there was something that God did by your actions that led me to know his salvation. What if uh, all that God has used you could to see and could, it was just right plain and plain sight? This is what happened. Like, Kelly's like, we want to accuse you, but this guy's standing here and he's been lame for 40 years. 40 years he had been begging. 40 years he had a reputation of somebody that couldn't walk. 40 years people had known that he had struggled in this way. And 40 years had come to a conclusion of we had these two guys in jail because they healed this guy for walking. This is kind of messed up. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it, but to keep them from spreading their propaganda. Who is this talking? Is it the public school board? Is it, well, those politicians in Montpelier is it, well, those non-Christians across the street? Is it those people that they're trying to ruin my life? It was the religious leaders. It was like me and the other pastors in town and the church boards or elders from the churches and the different leaders from churches came together and said, you guys are sharing propaganda. You guys are talking wrong about what we believe. It was the religious leaders. They were so confused, so blinded, that they called this miracle of Jesus propaganda. We must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again, which should be, we always speak in Jesus' name. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. The Gibbs are headed to... Um, El Salvador on the second. And there are those within El Salvador that have been persecuted to the point of being jailed or even death for their faith. This is not something that happened so long ago or is in some distant country. This could, but they were commanded not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you or him? Like, I, I know there's going to be consequences. And God, please give me tact and maturity and gracious, uh, like honey on my lips, that it's received with sweetness, the truth of your word, that it's received with a heart that's prepared and ready to know that you are my Savior. But we cannot stop telling about everything we had seen and heard because we've followed Jesus We've been with Jesus. We were his companions. We know him. So we ask for God's grace, and that we would speak with grace, but that we would speak with great clarity and forget about the nuance and just say that God is for us and he loves us so much. I have a song I want us to listen to, and then I'm just going to have us read the Apostles' Creed together to declare what it is we believe, and then we're going to be dismissed. But maybe as you consider, ponder, like, 
is Jesus my Savior? Or who needs Jesus to be their Savior that God wants to use my life to be a witness and testimony to? Listen to this song. I heard a story from the Bible When I was just a little girl About a broken hearted woman Who met the Savior of the world Thought it was just another story One that the preacher man would read we read this together and uh, maybe you are just wondering like I don't know if I believe in God as my savior and you just feel something going on like my heart feels like it's pumping fast I feel like I need to respond I mean 
we all are there or we've been there where we realize I'm lost without God. Like the woman at the well, if his salvation is for me, I want it. And so we confess, Jesus, you already know I'm a sinner. And so I declare to you, I need you. And now it's my profession of faith that I choose to follow you. Not just to believe in you, but to follow you. Won't you read with me out loud the Apostles' Creed? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the church universal, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Jesus, we thank you because you are good. We thank you. You call us to salvation. So here we are. And Father, we give you praise because you are so gracious, so good, so merciful, and the one and only way to salvation. We thank you, Father, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Stacy, you may be seated. Good morning. So as y'all know, this is Pastor Appreciation.